Open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. I know we're in a series on Daniel, but this morning is a part of that series. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, Don't raise your hand, but if you're in junior high, I just want to take a moment and say, I honor you, I respect you, and you could not pay me enough money to go back to junior high. Hi. One of the most awkward and terrible experiences of my life. I did not enjoy it. Adolescence was no fun. In my junior high, uh, the popular kids had this uncanny control over everyone else. Do you guys remember that? Like, I can't explain why, but when they laughed at you, it hurt worse than when anybody else laughed at you. When they left you out or they didn't invite you to their party or to their thing, it's like it hurt Worse than when anybody else ever did it. There's something about this group of kids. They just call them the popular kids in junior high. And uh, in our uh, junior high, I was on the popularity scale fourth. Okay, uh, Drove me nuts because I wanted to be in the top three, but I could never, ever quite make there. In fact, you could, you could ask me any day of the week, how was school today? And it all depended on how my status was on this level of kids in, in school because the popular kids made everyone else's life either really great or really, really difficult. Uh, and so different kids in our class had different responses to the popular kids. So one of them, Katie, a uh, real person, if she's listening to this, hey, Katie, um, she decided that she would separate herself um, from our, our class almost entirely. She had no friends in our class. She basically said, I'm done with this. And all of her friends were outside of school. Now, you may not know this, but I went to a, a, a private Catholic school called Our Lady of Victory. And we had the same kids from first grade all the way through eighth grade. So it was like a 30-person class. And so like we were together. Like, you know, the experience in many of your junior high schools where you had hundreds of kids and you went to different classes. We didn't have that. We were all together all the time. And so Katie decided she's going to separate herself. She wanted nothing to do with these shenanigans at all. Elena uh, had a different response. Her response was, uh, I'm going to act like I don't care. Now, here's the secret with Elena. Um, Whenever she didn't get invited to something, she would cry. Secretly, she did care. Her acting like she didn't was overcompensating. Um, Ed and Dave, they were number six and seven on the popularity list in our our class. Again, you see how clearly a junior high mind can articulate the levels. Uh, They wanted to be higher, but they realized they never would be. So to get attention, um, Ed and Dave regularly just disobeyed, rebelled, made antics, tried to get as much attention as they possibly could because they wanted the attention of the popular kids. There's another kid named Mike. Uh, Mike, I don't know, he was really down at the bottom of the list. But um, so Mike always complained, and his mother also protested regularly. She would call the principal. She would call the teacher. You're leaving my son out. He's not included in these things. My response was simple. I'm fourth. I don't want to be fifth. I'm never going to make third. Uh, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to conform. I'm going to act like them. I'm going to talk like them. I'm going to joke like them because doggone it, I know I'm not going up, but I am not going down on my popularity scale. Can anybody else, like, relate in any way in junior high, right? Or is my junior high just terribly worse than yours? In the same way, Christians have found themselves in a position where you are no longer popular. You're not in the in crowd. You are not cool. Um, It is not a popular thing for politicians to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe in the authority of his word, and I believe salvation is by grace through faith and not by works. These are not popular sentiments by and large. Um, anymore. Uh, We're the odd ones out. So last week we talked about how the church is in what we call cultural exile, and I want to just talk to you about exile here from home. Exile is very simply this. It is a person without a homeland. Uh, It is a person like a slave or a refugee 
or an immigrant. They are away from their homeland or they don't have a homeland. And then we talked about a fourth level of exile that the Bible speaks regularly about, which is those of you in this room who have trusted in Jesus Christ, Christians, that we are a people who are not in our homeland. We are a people who are far away from our home. We are, we are a group of people who are waiting with confident expectation that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he is going to bring us home where our values, our attitudes, our beliefs, uh, the things we love, our systems, where righteousness reigns. Like right now, we are in this world, but there will come a day when we are no longer exiles, but we are actually home. So we are considered exiles. But the term we use is cultural exiles. And here's what we mean by this. The church is a cultural exile in three ways. Number one, the church has gone through this massive transition from majority to minority. And so we found ourselves is that um, in the past, in the past 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, there was this sense that the church was in control. Okay? The, the church was the popular kids. The church uh, was able to uh, take a stand. People respected the church. The church, you, you felt like you had some level of cultural control. The last one, two, three years, that is gone. Have you guys seen how quickly that changed on a dime? Number two, what we've seen is not only that it's gone from majority to minority, but it's gone from well-respected to disrespected. So um, 10 years ago, you could have been a high school student and looked at your friends and said, you know, I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. I'm going to be physically pure, sexually pure. I'm not going to get drunk at parties. And they would have looked at you, many of them, and said, uh, I really respect your uh, integrity. I really respect that. I could never do that, but I really respect you. Now the conversation goes like this. You're a bigot. You're arrogant, you're judgmental, and your ideas are unsafe and are a threat to me, um, you need to leave. Do you see how the conversation has shifted? Oh, by the way, if you've been on a college campus, this is, the, this is what is happening to conservative Christians. This is not exaggeration. This is the new reality. And suburban America, by and large, is insulated from many of these realities that your kids, by the way, when they go to college, find themselves in. Uh, from well-respected to disrespected. And then finally, number three, from cultural center to cultural fringe. Um, now, Hollywood does not even care that you protest. They don't even care that you're upset. In fact, to distract you, what they do is they make movies for you that make you feel like they're paying attention to you, but they're not. They're actually just using you to make money. Okay? And so there's this new cultural reality that no longer are we the majority well-respected or the cultural center with influence. Now we are uninfluential, not respected, and we are the minority. We are cultural exiles. We are no longer the people, by and large, who have the sense of being in control. And so my question for us is, as Christians, what do we do? So the responses have been all over the board. Paranoia, fear, anger, resentment, separation, paralysis. I mean, what are we supposed to do here? Are we supposed to build a bunker and wait? I know some of you would probably enjoy that. Protest, separate completely. Do we engage the world? Do we conform? So we get to the book of Daniel, and the, ex the, the, the nation of Israel is in exile. They are not just in physical exile. They are in cultural exile. They are in a place where they are no longer the majority. They are no longer well-respected. They are no longer the cultural center. They are not the cool kids anymore. They are on the fringe. They are not in control. This is very important for you to understand what's happening in the book of Daniel. And Daniel is the story of this young boy who picks up, and he is finding himself as a 15-year-old kid in exile in King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, this great juggernaut of an empire. He finds himself in his court. And here's the question the Jews are trying to answer. 
How do we live as cultural exiles in a foreign land? Do we make their lives incredibly difficult? Um, What do we do in this context? And so false prophets were rising up, and false prophets were telling the people of Israel lies about what they were supposed to do. Some would say, God's going to take you away from this nation anytime now. You just pack your bags and you're ready to go. Some would say, protest, rebel, make their lives incredibly difficult. And there are all of these lies, and Jeremiah breaks through all the chaos, and God gives Jeremiah a word directly for the Jewish men and women and children in exile in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar's oppressive leadership. And so open up your Bibles with me on Jeremiah chapter 29. If you're going to understand how Daniel lived in Daniel and the book in the book of Daniel, you have to understand the word of God that Daniel received about how he is supposed to live. Daniel no doubt read and studied the prophecies of Jeremiah, which informed why he did the things he did in his book. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to start in verse 4. And number one in your notes is Christians seek your city's welfare. If God could look at the village church of Bartlett, look at the people of Israel and say, you are in cultural exile, this is what I want you to do. This is the posture you're supposed to take. Verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, also synonym armies, the Lord of armies, means he's speaking with some level of authority here. The God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What he's about to tell them is like, look, I've already told you in the past, this exile is going to last for 70 years. I know other prophets are telling you otherwise, it's going to last for 70 years. And here is how I want you to live, okay? You got to understand Unpack your bags. You're going to be here a while. You're going to have kids and grandkids, and some of you are going to have great-grandkids here. So you just settle down. You take it easy, and there's this rubric that I want to give you that I think is super simple, super helpful. If you're wondering, what does it mean for me to be a neighbor, to be a part of a church in the city of Barlett? Here's the rubric. You can either make a point, or you can make a difference. You can either make a point, or you can make a difference. And if you want to make a point, you 